Welcome to Culture Crawl ATX Podcast. I'm your co-host, Michael Ward Jr. And this is Donald Scott II. You know, I'll start by saying I voted. I'm happy to have... Actually, you know what? I'll throw this out here, actually. This is the first presidential election I voted in. Um, and... <laughs> And uh, <clears throat> people been going under the bus for shit like that. Like Snoop said it, a couple other people said it. I think a lot of people are ashamed to say it, but I'm okay with being honest and upfront because I represent how easy it is to be an intelligent voter, to be informed and to still not have voted all these years. And I can, I can rattle off a whole long list of reasons why, but ultimately I, I personally believe it's a function of cultural voter suppression, right? And that's, that's the topic that we'll talk about, but the belief, the core belief that my vote doesn't count and there's no reason for me to vote was established for me probably in high school. Um, and that was right around the time, right? When it's time to start voting. And so, um, now, and then, you know, I'll, I'll even take a step back. I actually helped campaign for both the eight and the 12 Obama elections. I just didn't vote. Uh, and so it's now having not voted for Hillary and being a part of that group that was listening and consuming that message about, uh, the protest vote and watching um, South Park, right? And watching CNN and listening to Twitter and being engaged in Facebook, along with the, the, uh, the stories around whether or not Bush really won and whether or not absentee ballots are counted. And, and then you start getting into all this conversation around the Voting Rights Act, right? Like, there's a whole lot of a whole lot of energy around not voting, more so than there is around actually voting. Uh, and I think that the U.S. prefers for the electorate or the the constituents to not vote. Uh, well, and so so there's anyway, data that shows that when more voters turn out, Democrats win, and when fewer voters turn out. Republicans win, right? Like that's actual statistical data. Um, but I think it's interesting. And I've been, I, I think Donald, you and I have talked about this a little bit that I, since moving to Texas, am feeling elitist in ways that I have never felt in my whole life, right? But realizing that like, I did grow up in this black bourgeoisie class, this like black elite class, because for us, it was the opposite, right? For us, um, the black elite vote and we write campaign checks. And once you get in office, we remind you that we wrote campaign checks so that you will uh, mind the things that we need you to mind while in office. Um, and there was an incident that happened in Atlanta at the beginning of the summer where a couple of students from, I think Clark and Morehouse maybe, or, or maybe Spellman was involved, but anyway, it was AUC students had an encounter with police officers and um, it was quickly taken care of. Those officers were quickly fired. And my friends and I made jokes. And we were like, yeah, they got the wrong black folks. We campaign check writing black folks. And there's no way Atlanta's elected officials could not clean that up quickly, right? Um, so for me, being from DC and going to college, so coming of age as an adult in Atlanta, 
like the expectation of us, like the cultural expectation was that not only do you vote, you pick up whoever can't get there, you um, take the sample ballots to folks who, you know, didn't read up on it. You make sure that um, whatever needs to happen to, ex and maybe part of this is, right, the, the civil rights history of DC and Atlanta, like maybe that plays a part in it too. But for me, culturally, uh, I mean, I was texting my grandmother when I went to vote on the first day, super excited. As soon as first day of early voting came, I was there, right? Texting my grandmother. My grandma's like, good job. Do you have your snacks? Do you have all your provisions? Are you ready to wait? Right? Like, it's like a badge of honor that I had to stand there for three and a half hours. My grandmother was like texting the rest of the great aunties and uncles like, yep, she had to wait in three and a half hours because she lives in Texas now and they don't want her to vote, but she got it done. And here's a picture of her voted sticker. And it's, it's almost like I couldn't call home if I didn't show up on day one. Like if I had waited till day four when the crowds died down, I almost would have, my grandmother almost would have been like, what the hell is wrong with you? Uh, so I think it's interesting that for you, the cultural expectation was around not voting because for us at home, it was an event, right? Like you put on your Sunday clothes. Uh, my friends here put on their fraternity and uh, alma mater regalia and we went out. I put on a blouse, right? And, and it was an event. At home, we put on Sunday clothes and you take your children and everybody goes because you need to make sure your children understand that nothing is going to deter you from exercising this right. So I think it's, uh, and I always think of Chicago as being a similar city to DC and Atlanta. And so it's always interesting when I hear how differently you experienced being black in America than I experienced being black in America. Yeah, I think from a, you know, I'll say one, I'll say I'm, I'm from the suburbs. And in okay. my suburb, it was actually a conservative suburb mm. with a lot of minorities whose vote was not sought out. And then because our vote wasn't sought out, we also weren't empowered. I think, you know, to your point, you make a good point about that concept, not only of enfranchisement, but also expectation. Right. I right. voted for you. I cut you a check. You actually yep. do work for me. Like I, I've seen uh, some, you know, they, there's been these recordings where somebody will be like, y'all work for us. Mm -hmm. I don't think that. And, and maybe we even talked about this in a previous podcast, Michael. I don't think that people generically. Right. And I'm talking generically. People generically do not understand, appreciate or know that these individuals are in these positions of power to serve. Right. Because what we've found mostly is that because we weren't asked for our vote, we didn't send any money. And mm -hmm. now they are not beholden to us. That person is still in power and it's separate from our experience as a uh, civilian or a citizen, even though they're making decisions that will affect us as civilians and citizens. Oh, for sure. And that's why we see the, this increase in voter uh, oppression because they want to remain in power and pretty much controlling the strings um, behind the scenes. Um, mm -hmm. And as I really look through, you know, just documentation and know more about history, like the things that they are doing, you know, on various levels is illegal, outright illegal. You are closing polls. That's illegal. That is a form of voter oppression. And in law, you can go ahead and argue anything one way or the other in law. Um, and there's a lot of gray area. 
But if you are limiting people from exercising their rights, you know, you are oppress oppressing the community. You are oppressing your citizens. And as I think through, I believe, Don, I think you said it earlier when you said cultural oppression and what does that really mean? I think about it as like, why is election day not a paid holiday, right? Like, like why is it right. that we are not actually supporting our communities to vote the way that the way that they want to, regardless of however you vote, you know, I'm not saying you should vote one or the other. Um, this election, I do believe you should, you know, that's my personal opinion. But overall, if you're going to vote and exercise your right, well, then the community and one well, other community, but the government should support you on that because they are there to serve you. And that's what I learned in my civics class that I had. Well, I think my first civics class I had was maybe in fifth grade or maybe sixth grade when it was like really about mm -hmm. civic engagement and what does that look like? It's completely different, but that's really the only time I actually had a real civics class was in fifth or sixth grade. Other than that, it was history. It was, you know, government. It was, you know, it was broader perspective versus something very specific to me as the individual and what I need to do. Um, as I think back about my days, though, I don't remember ever voting with my family, like ever. And mind you, I grew up in a Jamaican household, so I'm not even sure if my family did vote. I really do got to go now and talk to my mom and ask her and see. I, I don't believe she, I know she voted for Obama, but I'm not sure what happened before that. But from our standpoint, this is a right of our community members. But yet somehow along the way, we feel as if this is not our right anymore, even though we fought for this for years. And when I say we, I mean, we as in the black community fought for this right that was not given to us in the beginning. And the only individual that had this right to begin with was white male property owners. Right. I think when you talk about the importance of civics classes, uh, again, my grandmother and I were just having this conversation the other day. Um, so I only remember one formal civics education class in school too, but I grew up in a, um, an AME Zion church that was probably, uh, obviously you have a mix of income levels, but the DC area, PG County, Maryland is the wealthiest black county in the country. So it, it was a pretty wealthy black congregation, even though there's a mix, right? And our pastor- well, what, what was that community again? Civic, Prince George's County, Maryland. Okay, all right. Our pastor gave us our civic education from the pulpit, right? Like he would, he would take, before he started the sermon, you know, after praise and worship, before they take an offering, he would do an educational moment. And the educational moment was often like, this bill is coming down the pike. This is how I feel about this bill. You should figure out how you feel about it and write your senator and tell him how you feel about it, right? Um, the first time I was ever encouraged to write a letter to an elected official, I was in like third or fourth grade. And it was because my pastor was talking about uh, casinos coming to Maryland. And he was like, these are the senators and representatives that support it. And these are the ones that don't. We cannot have gambling, you know, organized gambling in our county. And for a very, very long time, we fought it off. Uh, Maryland does have organized gambling now. But um, I, my pastor was the one who was like, you know, I remember Clinton campaigning at our church, right? Like our, our so again, I think that some of this is upbringing and some of this is by virtue of being in D.C. and then Atlanta, right? Um, our pastor gave us a civic education. Our pastor was the one who would take time before church. And, and again, this is a black congregation. Um, but I also think about my grandmother when you were talking about fighting for the right. Uh, I took my grandma to the White House with me once 
it was like the day the Obamas were moving out. And um, I had been several times in the Obama administration uh, for different education events. And this one time they asked if we wanted to bring a guest. And I said, sure. We had never been asked if we wanted to bring a guest before. And I take my grandma and my grandma paused to drink out of like every water fountain that we passed in every hallway. Right. And as we were passing it, I was like, oh, she's so cute. Right. I know my grandma has a water fountain thing. This is adorable. But then when we left, there were tears in her eyes and she said that she wished that her mother were still alive because when she was a little girl, she couldn't drink out of water fountains in the city. And now she had drank out of water fountains at the White House. And it was in that moment that I realized like that is why my family is so big on fully participating, right? Because they were part of, I mean, my grandfather was part of the Black Power struggle in DC. My grandparents were here, they were part of making sure that we had the rights. So how dare me and veteran not fully exercise the things they fought them for. Yeah, you make a good point, actually, especially around um, the connection to the central leadership of the country. So if I bring back my experience in Illinois, for example, Mm -hmm. um, when we think about generically, when people think about Chicago politics, right, it's synonymous with machine politics. And that machine politics is ultimately closed group social circle. And then Illinois in general has its um, capital in Springfield, which no one ever goes to. Uh, and so people think about this, people think about the state of Illinois as the city of Chicago, when in fact, people in Chicago and Chicagoland area know that they are separate from uh, they are they are both separate from their state government and then and then not invited or excluded from city related government. And so when you when you're mm. when you're raised thinking about it and hearing about it, I, I don't remember, you know, for example, my pastor being like, these are things that we need to be concerned about or, hey, the uh, we should all are you read shit? Are you registered to vote? Right. Uh, mm mm-hmm. Uh, are you are you familiar with who's running for what council, what board, what what whatever? Um, to the point where the mayor just was. It always felt like there was no point in challenging the mayor, right? And and when you think about that experience, where they're telling you that there's no point in even trying to change the person in power then what they've led you to believe is that you don't have power. And I think that's how Mm. a lot of people actually have internalized it. And then we see when the people rise up and say, oh yeah, you know what, we should vote. Let's get out the vote. Let's talk about voting. That's when we see the active voter suppression pop up as an example here in Texas talking about uh, one drop off ballot location per right. county to make it equal for everybody. That's not the definition. Actually, <laughs> that is actually the definition of equal, which is why they created those images about the difference between equality and equity, right? right. Inclusion and diversity. Uh, yeah. But these guys are crazy with, uh, with the way they're going out of their way. Actually, I was in Atlanta, um, to, to your point about Atlanta and voting, I was in Atlanta when 
Stacey Abrams was running against whoever has whoever's Brian Kemp. Uh-huh. Kemp. And he was the secretary of state at the time, closing mm-hmm. polling locations. Yep. And uh, and they kept talking about how, you know, the Republicans had gutted the VRA. And that's and that was like the 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 sign or the signal for people to start um, to start actively blocking voters access. Yep. And uh, I remember on the radio, they were saying that one of Brian Kemp's boys was the consultant who was identifying and targeting which um, which polls to close. Mm-hmm. And of course, all of the polls were in Black communities mm-hmm. where a majority of those people also required public transportation, right? So not only are you closing their poll, but they can't even get to another poll. Right. Right. So it was like full on. And I, I do remember they said, oh, you can't do that. Somebody did come in and say you can't do that. But all of the other suppression techniques were just fine. And then um, and then Stacy lost, but she was close. It was a, they you had know, to do a recount. Was big, but um, yeah, they, they had to recount that when it wasn't close enough to yeah. decidedly call it. Oh, I don't remember they did a recount. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, then yeah, then they was definitely throwing ballots away. Actually, <laughs> while we're talking, so I mean, don't let me do too much talking. But when I was voting here in Pflugerville, it was shortly after the debate, right? They had the debate, then a couple days went by and then early voting started. And there was a, uh, our machine stopped working at some point. Um, mm. Maybe somebody needs to look into this, but like you, you vote on the box and then you're supposed to put your ballot into the Scantron machine. Right. The Scantron machine wasn't working. So they had us putting our ballots underneath the Scantron machine. Okay, fine. Oh, Jesus. So yeah, I mean, you like, didn't get a receipt that recorded your votes? Uh, you know, I wasn't even trying to be about that life. But... You weren't trying to be about what life? The life to make sure that your ballot yeah, actually went in the box? Yeah, because it was 6.30 and they was talking about the dude that was going to come look at Donald? it. They didn't know what... Hold on. Listen. Listen. Just wait. This just is wait. your first time ever and we don't even know if your ballot's going to count? <laughs> I assume it's going to count Jesus. unless Lugerville is out here acting up. <laughs> But now this said though, right? is most assuredly acting up. We live in Texas. Um, so, but okay, but listen to how it played though. Given that we live in Texas, <laughs> the the guy who was most upset was a gentleman in full uh, military gear, right? Mm-hmm. So he's definitely a veteran. Thank you for your service. But he was like, um, "I'm staying. Are are there going to be two members? Are there going to be members of both parties here?" When yeah. the guy shows up and he was like, I know you've seen, I, he said something like, what are y'all doing about the ballots that have been, that have been found in the trash and thrown away in the ditches? Right. <laughs> and I was like, come on, man. There's nobody. But he's right. This. He's kind of right. But at the same time. He's a hundred percent right. Are we, are we actually believing that even in the voting center, people are throwing ballots away. Yes, because we are if believing we believe that. that. If we believe that, then that means, if we believe that people are throwing ballots away, then that means people's votes don't count. But and we know that not everybody's vote counts. Vote. 
right? Like we know that Medgar Evers and his brother, when they showed up to vote for the first time after newly winning the right in Mississippi to vote, they had paid all their poll taxes, done all the things. They were met with an armed militia that was like, y'all going in? Because we, we going to show up. We going to shoot if this is what you're doing. And then we going to show up at your house and shoot them too, right? Like we know that people work very hard to make sure votes don't count, particularly votes in areas full of black folks. So did you and get not a receipt? that is full of black folks, but it's more, I did get a receipt. Yes. <clears throat> hmm. So what you think I should do? Should I go back and see if I can get my receipt or I just have no... I have no, no way. No, you have no record now. Yeah, there's no way of knowing now. Well, then I'll I'll say this. We'll put this on the on the recording. I went day two. I went day three of early voting, and I was one of the first few people to vote. And a whole group of them votes didn't get receipts. That's for sure, because they, they had no. The I'm telling you, the box the box stopped working. Like I was in, they opened the door at seven. I was back in my car by 7.30. So the box must've stopped working at about 7.15, 7.10. And then they said that the guy who's supposed to come fix it was maybe 45 minutes away. So, mm. so somebody needs yeah. to- And they should have stopped like, allowing people to come in, right? They shouldn't have continued to sure. accept ballots if they couldn't record them. Uh, that affects the legitimacy of the the ballot and the voting process. They needed to pause letting you guys cast ballots if they couldn't scan them in. So, yeah, Donna, what, what you need to do, and, and I'm not sure the, the right terminology, but there is some office I know that you could call to report different voting uh, um, registrations or offices that, that are doing something that they shouldn't be doing or there's an issue. So I'm not sure what that number is, but I, I will look for that and be able to, to get you in contact with the right individual so you can make that report because voting is definitely one of the most powerful thing we can do inside mm -hmm. of our community, inside of our society. And that's the essence of a democracy. So I think it's funny when people say to me, America is a democracy. I'm like, eh, no, not really. Um, America, um, you know, at one point in time, used to be a democracy until everyone else became or had the ability to vote. The moment everybody became and had the ability to vote, America completely switched and became a capitalist society instantly, like overnight, because they realized that the, well, they realized what democracy truly meant if it was exposed to everyone. So when regardless of one vote or a thousand votes, when you go and you voice your concern, you voice your opinion, that is the best way for you to hold someone accountable. And yep. yes, I understand the electoral college. I completely believe that should be um, obliterated. That needs to be gone. You need a whole new process that I completely agree with. But the only way for us to actually impact change from a policy perspective is through leadership. So we either are going to elect the people that we want to serve in those roles, or we're going to make as much uproar as possible and execute our democratic right in order to have those people that are in power to listen to us yeah. in order to have our voices uplifted. I know that is easier said than done, especially when there are so many scare tactics. I was, I was uh, reading this article the other day about this police officer down, down in Florida, down in Miami to be specific, which it just you know breaks my heart because I'm from Miami. But there was this police officer 
you know, around the voting booths. We don't know if he was going to vote. I didn't, I, they don't know, you know, why he was there specifically, but he was in full police gear with a mask on his face that said Trump, Trump something, Trump. something, something. Yeah. yeah. And, it was some other, and it was some vulgar language in that as well, in that mask. And that right there is a form of voter suppression because that's a scare tactic. Yeah. So now you've got a police officer where number one, black folks don't like police to begin with because they slave catchers, right? So let's put that out there. And you're tying that cop with now being at a voting booth where I'm trying to execute, you know, my democratic right, but now I see you. I don't like you anyway, so now I'm deciding what do I do? Do I stay here? You know, is, is there a possibility that something may go wrong, that I may die just because I'm black and I'm here? So, so now all these thoughts are going around as you're trying to cast your ballot, as you are trying to vote. But now you can't even, you know, think through what that looks like. So there are so many you know, tactics that are going on, whether it's physically, whether it's mentally, whether it's emotionally, or even financially. Hence why election day is not a paid holiday, because now you have to have the privilege in order to go ahead and take time off, take time off to vote, have the transportation to get there, et cetera. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big believer that voting should be transparent. It should be online. It should be something easy that everybody could see. So right now, Donald, that if you told um, Autumn and myself that you didn't vote, oh, we could go online. Oh, Donald, let me see. Hold up. You didn't, you didn't think you vote, Donald? Let me see www.voting.com. Oh, Donna, actually, Donna, you did not cash your ballot. You know what? Go ahead and do it again right yeah. now. Let's make sure you get cashed. It should be that easy, but it's not. And that's why America is right. not truly a democratic country. No, it's a capitalist country. They want to keep those in power and power. And they want everybody else in the bottom. Well, y'all got me concerned now. Um <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if I need to go go up there or something. Uh, well, I think you should be able to check. I think that they record some somebody houses like who Donald Scott votes for in every election mm-hmm. forever. Mm-hmm. Right? There's some yeah, central there's, voting authority that you should be able to contact to Michael's point that should be able to tell you your voting record and whether there is a ballot on file for you this year. Right. Yeah. And then and you have a valid reason like, hey, I went to go vote. The machine wasn't working. I saw some ballots in a trash can behind the ditch. You know, now I want to, well, I want to know, <laughs> was my vote actually counted or not? Because we know that voter suppression is illegal. They do it anyway. I'm, I'm executing my rights as, as an American citizen. Yeah. And, and one thing that I, that I want to say before I kind of ask another question is, you know, for those out there that, that you know, don't vote or think their vote don't count, it's like very simple question. If someone said to you, hey, if you do these things, I will give you a billion dollars, regardless of how much trouble you had, how much, how difficult it was, if you wanted that a billion dollars, you would go and get the billion dollars, regardless of what the steps was or process was. But here it is now, we have have allowed, you know, society, our culture, who's in power, who's not in power, you know, what happened in the past, you know, know, what what we think is going to happen to deter us from actually doing what we're supposed to do as a society. And the only way this gets better is through us. It is through our united effort in order to prevent those that are in power from abusing their power. Because if you just sit back and say nothing, that's how a dictatorship forms. And it's like, time out, y'all. We really got to think through what our actions or inactions are doing for society as a whole. 
Well, that's all I got. Now I'm trying to look up how do I find my, um, <laughs> how do I prove that I voted for the first time? <laughs> that's a real concern, Donna. The real Every concern. time I talk to you, I feel like, <laughs> I don't know how to explain it, but I feel like Again, at home, I do not feel elitist. At home, I'm regular and normal. But every time I talk to you, I feel so elitist, which doesn't <laughs> even make sense. But like. that's because I represent. I I'll tell you why. Actually, it's because I find myself in social circles that I don't belong in. I'm like that new rich. But in so theory. You know what I'm saying? Y'all are intelligent and come from intelligent people. Not that, not, but, but not that I don't come from intelligent people, but my background, right? Y'all are like the curated uh, uh, elite kind of group, hang out with the elite people and then, and then I slide in. But meanwhile, I'm basic, but y'all don't know it until I start talking. But, that's but in theory, on paper, <laughs> you look like you're supposed to be, I'm going to say one of us, right? Like in theory, on paper, <laughs> you came from the suburbs, you're not from the hood of Chicago. In theory, right, you are right, Ivy right, League right. educated, right? right? Like in theory, we're supposed to be here together carrying the talented 10th flag. And I'll be like, where are your black friends? Where were your grandmamas every time we talk? Yeah, uh, you know, <clears throat> that that's what makes me um that's what makes me a a odd character <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, and it's interesting you say that donna because for me as i really think about you know my upbringing um <laughs> like I'm, I'm jamaican and because i'm jamaican we just fight for rights this is what we do like right. it's in my dna <laughs> it's in my dna like, I don't care who you are. You, you could be Tom, Jerome, Dick, Mary, Martha. You could exactly. be anybody at Do Not Care. Like, you know, we're all about humanity. We're all about, you know, making sure that people are protected. And this goes back, you know, from just from, from Africa, right? And everything that's going on in, in that continent, especially right now. You know, Nigeria, yeah. we're definitely with you. Um, and, and right now we're in a spot where, you know, it really shouldn't matter where you're from. It shouldn't matter what your background is. Like, you know, if you got two things, you're either going to care or you're not. And then if you don't care, the answer is like, are you actually understanding though, right? Are you being sympathetic? Right. Are you being empathetic? Do you fully understand what's going on? Because if I said to you, you know, what if you couldn't go to the grocery store? How would that make you feel? Right. It's very different than saying, oh, that person can't go to the grocery store. But what if I said you couldn't go to the grocery store? And a lot of times when you make it personal to somebody, they're always going to want the best because we all want what's best for ourselves. But when we, you know, when it's not tied to us, that's when it's very easy for us to be like, oh, okay, it's fine. Let me not care about it. Yeah. And I think to your point, I mean, say we're not Jamaican, but uh, certainly this black power background, this background of like, being used to having power or taking it if we need to right like we're fighting people too in my family my uh i'm i joke all the time that my personal motto is give me my way or get out of my way and my alma mater uh, alma mater shout out to clark atlanta's homecoming week our motto is i'll find a way or make one right so like i come from the stock of like 
I'm gonna get it whether you give it to me or not. And so it's so interesting to meet people who are like, well, this is what's given to me. I'm like, what? You good with that though? Okay. Yeah, actually, you know, it's a little, we're gonna, this is a little bit of a pivot, but it has to do with how you feel about your access to power. Right. And I would say, um, uh, let's see, this may be incorrect, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Um, Chicago, the, the group of family that I represent in Chicago is that group of families that are constantly trying to find what's better rather mm -hmm. than stay where they are and fight. I'm not saying that they're not necessarily fighters, right? But like my grandmother left Mississippi, then my mom left Chicago, and then I right. left Bolingbrook. You know what I mean? So like there's no established power base yeah. that we have. And so if you think about the way people move about with lack of power, not necessarily lack of mobility, but you left because it was dangerous or you left right. because it wasn't safe. That safety is also a function of your political power as well as how you feel about your own uh, ability to affect change where you are. Right. So I'll bet that a lot of the conversation that we have around, like you said, make my, um, give me my way or get out of it, um, there's probably the complete opposite that are just, just leave me alone. For sure. You know what I mean? And that I'll bet that that just leave me alone group is not trying to vote. They're like, man, just do whatever y'all doing. Just leave me alone. And that is the opposite of what we need and the opposite of what's in our best interest, actually. I think there's another layer to this that we probably don't have time to get into here, but I don't know if either of you have ever read Lawrence Otis Graham's um, Our Kind of People, but it talks about, like it looks into the black elite. And I think about this a lot when I look at old class photographs from uh, Spelman or Howard or Atlanta University or Clark College, and you see the complexions, right? And I, I think there's another layer that light skin privilege definitely affords us that gives us that ability to feel like we can take over too if that makes sense right like it mm -hmm. for me for sure i know that it gets me when i straighten my hair it gets me seats at tables that other people wouldn't have seats at right uh, and my credentials should have gotten me there on my own but you want me to look a certain way to invite me here um so i think that there's a, another layer of that too that goes in because my grandfather is my complexion. I mean, you know, I think about my, my grandparents and, and we're all pretty light. Um, my grandmother is the darkest of us, but my grandmother's hair doesn't curl at all. Like she's got very straight hair, mm -hmm. gorgeous cheekbones, right? Like just the features that look like what you want. Um, again, we don't have time to unpack that, but our kind of people really looks into like the, um, not only the physical prototype, but the access and and kind of what it takes to build black elitism. Now, my pastor wasn't that. My pastor was from Alabama. His daddy had marched with Dr. King. He was black. He went to Alabama State, right? Like he, 
he wasn't the prototype that um, I would say I am. But I think because of that, he was like, look, we seen the struggle and y'all going to be better, right? It's the same thing as my grandma's like, I couldn't drink out of water fountains, so you're going to drink out of all the water fountains. And on that note, we're going to close out of Culture Crawl ATX podcast. We thank you so much for listening. And we ask that you take this time to follow Culture Crawl ATX on Instagram and click that like button and follow on your favorite podcast listening platform.